Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, everyone, to the Really Real Real Estate Podcast. Market update in real time. The real estate, financial, and investing markets, much like the weather, are changing every day. Therefore, it is imperative for us to occasionally check in with the market to get updates on topics like interest rates, purchasing power, and the availability of real estate inventory, just to name a few things. Today, we talk with John Kearney of Victorian Finance about how the market is currently looking as we continue to work our way through the first quarter of 2022. My name is Lou Lombardi. Now, here is your real estate advisor, Jason Wilcox. Good morning, Lou. How are you today? This is a this is a rarity for us. We normally we normally record it later at night, and it's a Saturday morning. The sun is shining, and a little bit of a different vibe for us. So how are you doing this Saturday morning? I don't know how to act, but I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> but I never knew I never know how to act. That's what my mother was always complaining about. You don't know how to yeah. act around people. Yeah. Yeah, I never know how to act, whether it's morning, night, afternoon, or but that's just you know, let's not go there. That's how I act is probably a whole different podcast uh, topic that we could that we could talk about. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> so uh, today we are in for a very very special uh, treat. We've got a very special uh, guest on the podcast today. Somebody that um, I've been working with uh, on the lending side with my clients uh, for the past probably I believe. Uh, four to five years now. Um, he's a great loan officer with Victorian Finance, and we're very, very excited to have him on the podcast today, uh, talking the market update. Um, full disclosure, even though this episode's not dropped until the end of February, we're recording this around the end of January. So we're just, just talking market update. We're talking kind of what's going on in this first quarter of uh, 2022, um, and just kind of some things to be prepared if you're thinking about uh, buying a home here within uh, the next uh, year or so. So very excited to have him on the podcast. We welcome today, John Kearney. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Jason and Lou. Uh, look forward to uh, getting this knocked out and to discuss the market update because honestly, the numbers today are going to be basically from the end of the year of 2021 for December because everything's delayed coming out in the uh, market with the updates and everything once you start getting to percentages and all that good stuff. Right. And and it should be noted that, you know, like I said earlier, even though we're recording at the end of January, this is dropping at the end of February. We're really looking at this at a quarter basis. So, uh, you know, kind of looking at the first quarter of 2022. So unless something catastrophic happens um, between now and the end of February, we're kind of looking at the 10,000 foot picture and that we're not going to probably see any major changes. And the nice thing is a lot of these numbers are at the end of 2021. So it's looking at the entire year of 2021, which is gotcha. nice. 
Gotcha. No, that that definitely makes sense. So the first thing that we like to do before we dive into the information uh, of the day, uh, when we have guests on the podcast, is we just want you to take a second to introduce yourself and to just tell us a little bit about Victorian Finance. So why don't we start with just uh, telling us a little bit about the man, the myth, the legend that is John Kearney. (laughs) All right. So I started uh, doing this in 2008, uh, fresh out of college, Peak of the financial crisis. I uh, was looking for was a finance degree. Was looking for a job. Family friend was like, "Hey, I got uh, four small finance offices, subprime." And he was like, "If you could pass this NMLS test, I will give you a job." Because of all all my old school managers cannot pass this test. I was like, "Hey, I'll give it a shot." So that's legitimately how I got started in this business. Then I worked for Northwest Bank for seven years. And then uh, Sonny Bringle at Victorian Finance recruited me to come to Victorian Finance just to specialize in doing mortgages. Been here since 2016 and it's been a wonderful experience. Met a lot of wonderful people along the way, especially Jason, as obviously we're doing this podcast. Uh, So that's kind of like my uh, thing in 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 the mortgage industry, in the lending side. And, uh, and, and you know, I've, I've watched enough uh, crime dramas and enough mafia movies to know that you're always in good hands if you're hired by somebody named Sonny. You just know, <laughs> you just know everything's all good. You're going to be protected. <laughs> so, and, uh, and tell us a little bit about Victorian Finance. What exactly does Victorian Finance do? Um, it's not one of your traditional banks. So people who may not be familiar with the banking and the finance industry may not realize what exactly Victorian Finance is. So Victorian Finance, we're, uh, re- we're basically a regional lender that's going nationwide. We're in 40 states. We're a direct Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac lender. So we do everything that a bit major bank like a JP Morgan Chase, a Wells Fargo does pertaining to mortgages, where we service our own loans. We underwrite our own loans. We're not a broker. We do everything in-house. We just don't do like the checking accounts or certificates of deposits, the investments. So all we do is we specialize in doing mortgages. Always try to explain to people, we are, if you go to the doctor and your foot hurts, are you going to go to your primary care physician or are you going to go to your podiatrist? You're going to go to your podiatrist because this is what we specialize in. Right. And, and basically, I think the word is you're not a depository, that you just yeah. you don't handle any of that. And it's also worth noting, too, that, um, you know, you are a resource if somebody needs something like a... Um, home equity line of credit or a HELOC. I, if I remember correctly, yes. you guys don't specifically do that, but you have connections to the yes. banking world that we can bring that in. I know I deal with a lot of times buyers and sellers who are looking to sell their first home to buy their next home. So sometimes we look at a temporary HELOC or a bridge loan to get them to into their, while we're transitioning them into their new house. Yes. Uh, also could be uh, categorized as a swing loan. We yeah. do do those, but they're short term loans like we would do that just to basically so we get the purchase right but more often than not it's better to go to a low like your bank to do the to do the fridge loan or swing right loan. and that's, that's not your, right and that's not your specialty your specialty yeah. is the mortgages the actual mortgage itself correct um, it's also, you can also tell I have the maturity of a 13 year old because every time I hear swing, I'm not thinking <laughs> swing loan. I'm not thinking anything money related when I hear the word swing, but let's let, let's not we go there. We also have a piggyback product, which is like doing a first and a second mortgage together. Yeah. So I do it through a local federal, this, uh, the piggyback through a local federal credit union where it puts you on an introductory rate for six months, 1.99 
So yeah. thanks. Yeah. The, yeah. The most important thing that I tell all my buyers is if you're unsure, have that conversation and you'll guide them in the right direction. Because again, as I've said for the longest time, even though these products are available, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to work for your specific financial situation. Right. So when you're having that conversation anyways, that's what you can do. You can sit down and see what products work for them. Do you offer it? Do you have to go, you know, next door to get to another bank or wherever? And then, yeah, that's what you do. You'll guide them in the right direction. You're 100% accurate because your Jason, the mortgage product is best for you might not be the mortgage product that's best for your cousin or your brother or your sister. Everybody has a unique financial situation and we have to gear the mortgage product that best fits them, not what fits you know, John right. Smith, Brian Smith. Right. So, so it's like, it's, it's like clothing. I wear a three XL t-shirt and I'm proud of it. I realize three XL is not for everyone. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. so, so let's dive into uh, just talking about uh, the market here. So I believe we're going to start probably with the most important thing uh, when it comes to the market, which is income, which is your own money. So uh, let's start talking about how has income increased over the last decade to decade and a half here in America. Okay. So income, think about this. It's basically up year over year. And I have a chart that basically says that the income that has gone up from like $21 to like $33 an hour. Okay. Over the last like 20 years, roughly, we'll say that. But there actually came out another stat because of how quickly inflation is going up is that 17% of the consumer actually believe the wage increases that are happening are actually going to keep up with inflation. Oh, wow. Only 17% think that. And that kind of being said with that is you also try to dive into buying power, where people's buying power, even though wages are going up, and everything looks great on paper, like, hey, you were making $20 an hour, now you're making $30 an hour. But your healthcare costs goes up, consumer goods up 10.7%. So everything is going up. So that home that might've been $200,000 in 1990, that's 425 today, this, you, it's, saying, it's, the same, it's, it's the same person could buy that property. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that, that, that definitely makes a, a lot of sense. And so it's kind of interesting because it's like the, you know, the short version ends up being, has purchase power changed? And it's like, no, <laughs> it really, it hasn't. I mean, it's, it's, if you were able to afford in this specific neighborhood or in this specific price range, um, you know, you know, 10 years ago, that's probably the neighborhood and the price range you're going to be for you now. It's just been adjusted for, for and that is kind of why it's crazy because you people are, you're seeing in the news, hey, McDonald's $15 an hour. But the thing is, is that, you know, you go and buy a loaf of bread, it's five bucks instead of 99 cents. But it's just, it's all relative. The biggest thing is benefits. Health Mm -hmm. benefits have been going up consistently year over year. And I'm sure everybody is aware of that. Me and Jason both just had newborn babies. Mm -hmm. kid. You know, medical bills, costs. That's just, I mean... So yeah, incomes are up. Think about it. 55% since 2006 and buying power really hasn't changed at all. 
Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that's, that, that's where I love when people are like, you know, Oh, I remember when, you know, gas used to be 79 cents, you know, a gallon back in 1970. It's like, well, yeah, but minimum wage was also what a dollar and a quarter, you know, <laughs> God, God bless my great aunt Mildred. But you know, 20 years ago, I used to clean her car, you know, and spend four hours on it and she'd pay me a dollar. Like that was, that was her tip because back in the day, a dollar could buy you, you know, a full tank of gas and like, you know, a six pack of Coke at the, at the gas station, like, you know, yeah. Exactly. (laughs) So, okay. So that's, what's been kind of going on over the long term. but let's take a look here a little bit at the short term and talk, because obviously things have changed a little bit since COVID hit uh, us about a year and a half ago, Um, especially with uh, uh, respects to the the job market. A lot of people lost their jobs. Um, A lot of people were kind of sidelined for work temporarily. Some were sidelined more temporarily than others. Uh, But as we're getting into the start of 2022, what are we seeing in the job uh, recovery market um, as it comes back to people building their income and building their wages and being able to, to get back to affording their, their, their buying power? I mean, still, as of, at the end of the year, still 4.2 million Americans remain out of work than in early 2020. Like, so, and then the jobless claims came out uh, this uh, week, actually, and they were over by like 60,000 more jobless claims. And this is new claims that just came out this week on Thursday. So they were projecting for like 225,000 new jobless claims. It was like 286,000. Like, so I think the job market and labor industry where it's just, we have not fully recovered since early 2020 still. So 4.2 million more Americans still remain out of work than in early 2020. Which is interesting, though, because I know that the, the running question seems to be that we see, you know, job, uh, you know, wanted signs and help wanted signs all over the place. It makes me wonder why we're seeing a lot of people without jobs. But at the same time, we're seeing a lot of the help wanted signs. One of the biggest things is child care. Really? You know, I mean, people are staying home because, you know, that they figured it out during COVID. OK, and child care costs are getting higher and higher and higher and you're going to have you know more stay-at-home moms or dads because it's cheaper for them to stay home because if you think about it wages are going up so you got to pay that nanny or that daycare more money so it's all about child care really is one of the big driving factors of why some people aren't going back to work yeah. When I think with that, not just childcare, you know, for young children, but I think also the whole school situation is a big thing too. You know, a lot of people are still doing um, virtual or remote. You know, what I'm seeing is even though a lot of the schools in the last year have gotten back into session, they're still, uh, oh, you know, we're going, you know, the numbers have spiked. So we're going virtual for the week or we're going virtual for the next two days or, or whatever. Or now even worse, there's no such thing as snow days, which I think were the best part of our childhood when we were in school for the snow days you know they're not having that they're just saying you know we can go virtual okay yeah it's negative two degrees outside and it's not safe to be at the bus stop we'll just go virtual for the day um but the problem is that Uh, i I just realized i don't have any kids in school or anything like that i don't have any kids and i just what you're just saying man this whole podcast so far has been a little depressing Uh, (laughs) and that is the worst thing you said the whole time shame on you jason (laughs) 
No forget, snow days. Forget. Oh, that's all. So, in other words, we would wake up and we would think, "Oh, no school today," and then it, then it, they'd be, like, "Oh, not so fast. You're going to virtual school." Like, oh. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and sucks, th- think about it. This past week, when we got what nine inches of snow, I don't know if those kids had a snow day. Oh, that, no. that would just be awful. That would just be awful. There, I'll tell you, there's nothing nothing better than waking up, finding out you had a two hour delay, go back to sleep, and then you know your mom or dad came in and was like, "Oh, school's canceled for today," and then just went back to bed again. Yes. Wake up at like ten thirty and then go play in the snow. Oh, yeah, so good! I know, so, I know. Uh, we're, we're, so we're, we're digressing. Sorry, John. So we do this sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's perfectly fine. You got hey, just start. <laughs> but I just, but yeah, but that is one of the main driving forces. And think about this for uh, people that are working. Oh, well, you can't go to work today. Or you can't go to school today because somebody was exposed. Well, yeah. okay. Now, what's that parent do? Do they go to work or do they stay home? Right. Yeah. Right. And then, then of course, there's the whole issue of, you know, how many days off does your job give you? You know, uh, it's just it's a whole mess right now. It is an absolute whole mess. And that so. is one of the driving forces why I don't think it's recovering as quickly as we were expecting. Right. Right. But let's get into some happier news. Let's uh, let's get into baby making, because that always puts a smile on everyone's face. Let's talk about baby making. <laughs> All right. So, so despite Despite uh, despite looking uh, and thinking that maybe uh, the baby boomer generation had uh, more uh, kids than we did, I don't know. The numbers might be different, but it seems like there's been kind of an explosive growth in the number of births by generation over the past couple of generations, right? You're exactly right. Baby boomer generation around 76 million. Our millennial generation is about 66 million. But the best thing about the millennial generation right now is the majority of them are turning by the age of 33, which they're all trying to buy their first home. Hmm, So last month in December, 30% of the overall sales were first time home buyers. That's crazy. That is that is that is a large number and the re- the reason why on my end what i see the reason why that's large is cuz like you said in your 30s you know you're just starting out your career um or you know even if you got your started in your career early and maybe you're 10 years into your career you know you're still not making the money that you're hopefully going to make i think i read a statistic somewhere in in a book i was reading that says you know you make the most money in your career in your 50s and 60s which if you think about it makes sense because you've been there the longest you've you know built up the years of seniority right. you know if you're in a business you know you've built the clientele so to to think that you know in your 30s you know you're not making as much money as you are in your 50s and your 60s the fact that 30 percent of the market is the first time home buyer market i think that is absolutely huge um and and do we do we think that number is going to go up in the next couple well, of years in november it was 26 percent, and in december it was 30 percent. so it's going to continue to go up and that's kind of the big driving force. And as you see this, just the explosion of the, you know, the birth, birth rate. So right. especially, so that's picking up majority of, and that's what's going to honestly sustain us, I would say, for at least the next five to 10 years because of the millennial generation, everyone reaching the age of 30, trying to buy their first home. Yep. Like, like 1% of the overall sales last month was uh, foreclosures, 17% was investors, and 24% was cash buyers. 
that's that's amazing and and it's interesting from from my perspective that that number makes sense that i think you said in november it was 26% were were millennials and then in december it was 30% and that makes sense because we were still swamped in december like i was still working with buyers i was still seeing multiple bid situations happen and you know a lot of times we see that happen in the spring when more inventory becomes available but you know you get millennials that maybe don't have kids yet or um you know maybe they're doing the holidays with their families but they're not tied down to, you know, every night something going on, you know, other than maybe the couple of days at the holidays. So it makes sense that they'd still be wanting to look during the, the, the holiday months. I mean, we were, we were swamped and I was, I was showing houses two days before Christmas and I'm pretty sure I was showing houses on December 26th. I mean, so it makes sense. We were, we were, we hightailed it through and I mean, it hasn't stopped. I mean, I'm seeing multiple bid situations. I saw a house um, go up, uh, for sale by a former client of mine who didn't use me. I'm not bitter at all. Not <laughs> not bitter. Not resentful. Not not in the least. But it was it was a great first time home buyer house that I sold him five years ago, and um, you know it was multiple bids within 36 hours. And this was this was a house that literally went on the market. I want to say like you know January 3rd. You know it was one of those ones where it's just, we've been booming the whole time. We haven't slowed down. Yeah. And um, actually, if you like how we're talking, though, but if you look at like year over year basis, we're down year over year, 7%, 4.6% last month. But it has not it has nothing to do with people not wanting to buy a home. It has. I think I shared this with you yesterday, Jason, that if you look historically back in 2007, before that, when the crisis happened with the with the, uh, when we had an abundance of supply, we were at 3.7 million units listed for sale. Last month, 910,000 units. We're almost 3 million units off. So the reason why the sales are down is you have nothing to sell. <laughs> right, right, Exa- exactly. The sales are down, not because people don't want to buy. I mean, the, the whole what I always remind people is if you have a multiple bid situation and five people have bid on a property and you only have one sale, that is very, very... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Very, very uh, off-putting in terms of the number because you had one sale, but you really had five people that were wanting to buy it. So, you know, if those four other people could find houses, you have four people that didn't have a house that they just bought. You, your sales should be five, not one. So it's right. you're you're absolutely right. The, the the numbers are just incredible in terms of the overall uh, number of sales that that are down from the last 15 years. And if you think about it, prices are up because the med- the median uh, home sale is 358000 It's up 15.8%. Why? And that's another big thing is because I'm sure you understand when you're going, hypothetically, people right now are offering over a list. Why are you offering over a list? Because you're trying to get the house. It's driving up prices. But you basically saying that to people, it's like, well, there's nothing listed. There's And people keep saying housing bubble. Well, there's no housing. So right. How's- be a bubble how's the price is going to drop if there's it's just going to continue to rise because of the short because there's the supply absolutely and and it should be noted that when we talk about these multiple bid situations i'm seeing them all over the place i'm seeing them for hundred thousand dollars in pit karen and i'm seeing them for four hundred thousand dollars in mcmurray like it's it's not any one area or school district in in any one area and price range i'm seeing them all over in every market and what i'm going to be curious to see if we look into the into the into the like magic eight ball the future crystal ball i'd be curious to see do you think more people are going to start selling in the future 
Yeah, I think so. So um, new construction is going to eventually come back. Uh, Supply chains are going to be, the only big thing is, is new construction is up 19%. So it just, the reason why I'm saying the cost is up 19%. So who's that going to eventually get passed along to the consumer? Oh, absolutely. It'll eventually catch up. And I think we're going to start getting some, eventually some unique products coming back for lending wise is because of the supply issue right Right. now. Right. So hopefully we can get back to this unique, the right, like the renovation loans are still out there. They're just so difficult to do. I think they're going to start becoming more and more lenient on that. The more they're going to bring the construction loans back just because to try to get the supply and the demand to at least balance out. Yes. Yes. Well, and, and, well, my, my favorite story that I have when it comes to a renovation loan, I had a buyer once that wanted to do a renovation loan and, you know, the underwriter always looks for very specific bids from, from the contractors. And that's very much an oxymoron because contractors hate doing bids. Like I put in, I think like a $16,000 concrete driveway in my house a couple of years ago. And I literally got an invoice that said new concrete driveway, $16,000, like not specific at all. And I, I remember, you know, getting into a fight with a painter because the, the lender was like, no, 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 we need a more specific contract. He's like, what else do you want me to put? A paint in the effing house. Like, what do I, <laughs> like, what do, you, what do you want me to put on this thing? And, and so that's where renovation loans get nuts because the underwriters are never happy with it, with the contractor bids and the contractor bids don't know how to make them any more detailed. It sounds You're like exactly a different, right. it sounds like a difference in, in sort of like, um, like cultures, you know what I mean? Like yes. the, the, the loan people 100%. are like, they're looking at the details and the paperwork <laughs> and signing this and crossing every T and dotting every I and the contractor's like, I paint houses, dude. Like, yeah, I don't know what else to you, tell you. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. And then, and then, well, and then we won't get into the fact that like, then I, then I see how some of these contractors write up their bid and I'm like, no, no, you spell paint wrong. Let's <laughs> P P A N T E. Yeah, not knocking on anyone. So, but, um, yeah, so I, I would like to see renovation loans come back, but you're right. I think some changes are going to have to be made to that loan. By the way, real quickly, for our uh, for our people that don't know what a renovation loan is, you real briefly, John, just want to mention what an actual renovation loan is. Okay, so there's multiple different types of renovation loans, but the two main is there's an FHA 203K, which a renovation loan is hypothetically you buy a property for $100,000 and you wanted to stick $50,000 into it. What you would do is basically get a mortgage for $150,000. You would close the day on the house the day the renovations start for the $100,000. And then as the construction is being completed, the uh, phases are distributed out to the general contractor of the $50,000, like first phase, second phase, third phase, and then completion. Uh, big thing with renovation loans is, is the general contractor has to start the first phase with his own money. The bank will not issue the money until the first phase is complete. Right. Normally, on the other side is if you're personally just getting a general contractor, they want the first phase up front. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and that, that's why, in theory, a lot of buyers go, oh, I like this product. Let, let's give it a shot. The the backside of it is there's a lot of paperwork. It's not just, oh, you want $50,000 to fix the house? Here you go. It's much more detailed and much more tracked than just, oh, we're going to give you $50,000 and good yeah. luck with it. A lot so. of red tape with that because there's a lot of compliance and we're basically giving out the client's money. So yeah. heavily, heavily watched over. Yeah. Yep. And then you, you said there were two. So the first one was the FHA. Yeah, the Homestow is a Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac product. Okay. It's a conventional uh, product, basically, for a conventional loan, not a government loan. Right. And that's it's basically the same type of thing. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and the last thing that I'll say just with regards to new uh, construction um, before we move into the Fed's bond buying program, it makes sense that new construction is up when listings are down because people need new houses. They need bigger houses. And if they can't find what they're looking for on the market, let's just go build it. You know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a, a seesaw, if you will. If one's up, the other one's going to be down and vice versa. You know, it makes sense that if listing inventory is not available you're just going to have to go build so and hopefully the new builder has decent land to build on so okay so let's get into uh the fed's bond buying program i'm not gonna lie i hear the fed and i just start to clam up so uh i'm gonna let you take over yeah so basically in 2020 and 2021 the fed was buying about 120 billion dollars of mortgage-backed securities per month Right. So what the reason why is they were trying to prevent a recession during COVID and basically in turn, they were just rewriting their paper. So now they came out with their tapering coming out 2022 that they're going to gradually stop buying less and less and less in turn. That's so you're taking out basically the largest investor buying mortgage backed securities on the secondary market is the federal government. Right. And in turn, it's just going to trickle down to buying less and less and less. So what's going to end up happening? Rates are going to go up. Then you, you have the Fed coming out in March and going to be raising prime. They say that there's going to be five crucial announcements by the Federal Reserve in 2022. Not necessarily five interest rate hikes, but five crucial, basic, crucial actions that they're going to take in 2022. Gotcha. Gotcha. And just a real, real quick history lesson. I'll sum up eight, eight classes of uh, uh, residential financing in, in like three sentences. Basically the, the secondary mortgage market for listeners is when you go to the bank and you get a loan or you go to Victorian finance, and you get a loan, they are the primary lender. They give you money to then purchase the house. Well, what happens is those people and those entities only have so much money to give. So then they sell off the mortgage, the secondary mortgage market so that those guys can then have more money to lend out to, to people. I think that's the best way to, to put it, correct? Where, yeah, where all the money from mortgages come from is they come from retirement funds. So it's right. pulled out of retirement funds, give to the consumer. It's, then after the mortgage is done, it's basically brought back in and then sold on the secondary market as investment to put back in the retirement funds. So it's just right. a big circle. Right. And, and and what was really wild was what I what I learned from this class was before the secondary mortgage market was created, because the secondary market is a relatively new thing in the American financial system, there were lending institutions and banks who would only have so much money to give. And there would be times where you'd go to the bank and go, hey, I want to buy a house. Um, I want to, um, you know, I want to take out a loan. And they would deny you not because of your own credit or your own financial history. They would deny you because they didn't have any money left. Like the bank physically didn't have money to give yeah and we still have some portfolio lenders out there local banks but more often than not 90 percent of the lenders basically sell the investment on the secondary market mortgage-backed security to get their money back in turn you're still paying pnc bank dollar bank victorian finance but they all sold that security on the secondary market as an investment so they got their money back but you're paying them you have no idea that that's been sold Right. It makes me feel good that no matter what, my money's still going to PNC Bank. <laughs> it makes you feel so, good, huh? <laughs> thank God, PNC Bank. Thank God, JP Morgan is still getting his money. <laughs> so uh, you kind of hinted at this, but just to kind of drive it home with the with the with what the Fed is doing in the bond buying program, how is this going to affect mortgage rates at mortgage rates as we look into 2022 and even 2023? 
I would say by the end of 2022, we're going to be in the high 3% and low 4% by the end of the year. You're going to be looking at like 3.375, 3 3.875, 4%, 4.125, 4.25, where previously we were trending 2.75 to 3.25. It's going to basically be up an entire percentage point. Right. And talking to someone who had their uh, mortgage interest rate locked at four and an eighth when I, when I bought my house back in 2017, it's not horrific. It is still a hell of a lot better than what, 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 percent back in the 80s. And one point from three percent to four percent does not change anybody's buying power. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, when we go up one percentage point, how much do you, roughly how much does that increase your monthly mortgage? On $100,000, you're looking at about uh, 80 bucks. 80 bucks. Okay. So that's not, yeah, that's not horrible. And like you said, if, you, if you're looking at 1200 versus 1280 for your monthly mortgage, yeah, that really shouldn't break the bank. So, yep. All right. Well, uh, John, this was all great information. Um, what Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with everyone uh, before we uh, turn it back over to Lou to wrap it up? Honestly, not really, but I just thank you guys for having me on. It was a great experience. And if you need, if I can help in any way, just feel free to always give me a call, always available to help. Uh, the final thought that I'll just kind of wrap up with is as you're listening to this, if you're, if your head is swimming a little bit, if you started hearing numbers and clamming up, this is why the mortgage in- industry and, and getting a mortgage um, and the financial lending institutions, it's not as black and white as people think. There's a lot of, uh, as I joke, 50 shades of gray that go into the, the, the mortgage industry and getting uh, a loan. That's why when you're ready to buy, whether it's your first house, your second house, your third house, whatever, you know, you're moving across state lines, you're relocating for work, give John a call, give your uh, financial person a call, give your lender a call so you can sit down and have the conversation. Because as he mentioned at the beginning, you know, these guys are specialists in what they do. Let them sit down, let them look at your specific financial situation and they can guide you in the right direction of what's going to make everything work for you. And uh, having worked with John in the past, I can tell you he is absolutely one of the good guys. Um, So you will be in good hands. He's not going to try to swindle you or anything like that. He will absolutely take care of you. So get with John. Uh, All right, Lou, turning it back over to you to wrap up today's episode. All right, guys. Thank you so much, Uh, John and Jason. Very uh, interesting conversation. uh, As always, John, do you mind uh, just go ahead and giving out your contact information so that the, uh, anybody who is interested might be able to reach out to you? Yeah. My tele, my direct line is 724-462-4798. That's the best way to get a hold of me. And then my email is J K E A R N E Y at victorianfinance.com. Available 24-7, 365. Wow. There you are. Service. How about that? All right, guys. uh, Get in touch with John uh, if you uh, are looking for uh, uh, financing, et cetera. And, of course, as always, uh, Mr. Jason Wilcox wants to be your real estate advisor, whether you're thinking about uh, buying or selling, uh, buying and selling, whatever, in the next, uh, you know, six months. 12 months, 18 months, whatever. It's probably something that's in your forecast. If you're listening to a podcast like this, Jason is in it for the long term. He's he's building those relationships right now. So you want to reach out to Jason at 412-651-4638 or jason.wilcox at pittsburghmoves.com. As always, guys, it is a pleasure here at the Really Real Real Estate Podcast, and we are looking forward to uh, our next episode, so you don't want to miss it. So we'll catch you all on the next Really Real Real Estate Podcast.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.